This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's podcast. There's no special announcements or anything this week, so let's just jump right into it. The Mega EverDrive Pro is now available for sale. That's the version of the EverDrive from Crix that also plays Sega CD games. And I have one en route to me right now, but the way shipping's been for the past few months, uh, it could get here next week or it could get here in the fall. Who knows? But I will be doing a review when it comes in. Uh, I'm certainly going to check it out first and kind of spend some time with it just to get a feel for it and then put the review up. That way I could get something really accurate. And of course, you know, Crix is constantly doing firmware updates for all of his carts, including very old ones. So uh, maybe it's a good thing that it's taking a little while to get mine. Maybe there'll be some some launch day bugs ironed out before uh, before I even get mine. But as soon as I do, I'll definitely keep everybody updated and post a review. Mike Chi just announced the RetroTINK 2X Mini. This is a device that's going to replace the RetroTINK 2X Classic in the Tink product lineup. Uh, and this only has S-Video and composite, uh, composite video inputs as well as audio. This one also has the same smoothing filter as the other RetroTINK products, but not scan lines like the Pro Edition. Um, it's going to sell for $70 and come with an S-Video cable that's compatible with all of the SNES multi-out consoles. So I, I think this really is the perfect roundup of the RetroTINK line of products. You have this entry-level one for anybody who just wants to take their old consoles, use the cables it came with, and play it on a flat panel TV with zero lag. I think that's an awesome solution, um, and I really think there's a lot of things about that that just makes it easier for people to start out in gaming like this. Um, of course, then there's the rest of the uh, product lineups that is pretty good, and this is also going to be a decent choice for people that are looking for GameCube support for GameCubes that don't have the digital output. Now you'll be able to use S-Video, which is certainly going to be a lot sharper with GameCube games. As for N64 users, if you already have a RAD 2X, I think I showed pretty clearly in that video that while in almost every other case imaginable, S-Video versus Composite is a pretty huge difference, in the very specific use case of N64's graphics, on you know uh, converted to 480p on an average tv these days that scales to 4k not really that big of a difference in that one scenario especially if you have that smoothing filter on which for n64 i always recommend i think that looks really awesome so if you already have a rad 2x for your uh, for your n64 i wouldn't sell it for this one but if you were waiting on a new product or if you hadn't bought it yet I mean, why not, right? Even if it's not that big of a difference, now you get that tiny little performance boost, and you could also use the same setup on your GameCube, your or your SNES, whatever else. So, uh, overall, uh, always been a big fan of the RetroTINK line of products. They just they just do what they say they're going to do, which is awesome. Zero lag, line doubling to 480p, um, smoothing filter that works on 480i that makes 480i 
almost no flicker at all. I really enjoy that filter for that stuff. So uh, really looking forward to testing it as well as seeing what else Mike has to offer. Epos Vox just interviewed the person who invented the NDI protocol. And while NDI doesn't directly relate to retro gaming yet, I think it's a really amazing piece of software that can do a lot of things. Um, Adam goes into pretty detail, pretty deep detail about this stuff in the interview. Um, and the whole time I was thinking of how cool it would be to have retro products that could encode you know, uncompressed original 240p video over NDI. So 240p is not a very large stream or not going to be a large bandwidth stream, even fully uncompressed with no compressed colors. So it would be really neat to see retro gaming uh, capture cards maybe in, uh, released that have a network port that you could just plug your consoles in and, you know, have everything done through NDI. I could imagine emulation boxes having M NDI built in so you could just stream that to another PC uh, so you could set up your OBS and everything else and just have that plugged into your computer. I think there's just a whole long list of things that we could be doing with NDI in the retro world. So uh, if you're a person with enough ability to do these things, please check it out. Check out the pages on it. Um, I linked to the tools page on the NDI website that explains exactly what you could do. But I would really love to see something like this. And while this might be complete fantasy land, I have no idea if this is even remotely possible. It would be pretty incredible if something like this could be built right into Mr. So you're playing on whether it's your flat panel or your RGB monitor, and then you just have the network output of the Mr. stream that NDI signal right to your computer. Don't get your hopes up for that. I have no idea if that's feasible or if I just said something real dumb. I'm just saying in a perfect world, that would be nice. Also, on a personal note, it was pretty funny to see the look on Adam's faces, uh, Adam's face a couple of times during this interview, because it's the same look that I get whenever I get to interview somebody that I really admire and I'm a fan of their work. And I just, that, that really, you know, always makes me smile because it's good to see all of us nerds appreciating each other and, and showing some respect. So thanks very much to Adam for doing the interview. Um, I highly recommend it to anybody who's even remotely interested in NDI streaming or just listening to some very cool nerds talk about about some, you know, nerdy shit. <laughs> a software engineer has just exploited the PlayStation 2's DVD playback in order to boot Homebrew. This only works at the moment on specific model and specific firmware revision PlayStation devices, uh, but I think it's a pretty cool thing to happen. And as Modern Vintage Gamer put in his video on this, you never know what exploits that are done in the same style like this are going to lead to. Um, because this could be done on PlayStation 2s, does this mean you know, eventually we might be able to figure out ways to use the same style exploit on other consoles. And another thing that would be a pretty interesting thing, um, a lot of people use free McBoot and hard drives. And I saw a lot of snarky comments floating around when this was released, like, oh, who cares? I already have free McBoot. Who wants to boot off a CD anymore? Well, one of the things about free McBoot is that you need to build that memory card on a modded console. Now, there's other ways around it. There's, you know, and you could always just ask a friend if you know any other retro nerds. But the bottom line is, even if this is used for nothing else, you could build a boot disk that allows you to plug this in an unmodded PlayStation and then boot into free McBoot and flash your memory card with the boot software on it. So for that use alone, this is pretty awesome. Uh, but I think 
people are going to figure out some interesting ways to go a little bit deeper with this. Um, it's still kind of new, but uh, the project is open source and out there. So check out the GitHub page if you're interested. And I'm just a huge fan in, in finding stuff like this. So thanks very much to CTURT, who is the software engineer that released this. And I'll be following up if any other awesome things are found in relation to it. Jacob Proctor has just uploaded an open source VGA breakout board that I thought was a really cool idea. So these breakout boards have been available for a while for other stuff like the 9-pin and 8-pin mini DINs. Um, and usually they're positioned kind of the way that you see them here in this picture. Um, now this is a two-piece design, so what you're seeing is how the board would ship, not how it installs. But um, something like this would go over the back of a connector and kind of angle across it and get you an easy way to tap into the pins. Um, so right now on all of these connectors, whether it's the mini DINs or a VGA connector, you could strip your wires very carefully, tin them, slide them inside and, and uh, hit them with just a little bit of tin solder and then slide your, you know, your heat shrink tubing over it to make it a good connection and prevent shorts. But that's a giant pain in the butt. I mean, I can't stand doing that. So having breakout boards that slide over the pins, you solder the pins on, and um, and that's it. You just solder to those pads, make it so much easier. This design's kind of unique, though, because instead of sticking up or down, the board ships as two pieces. You break it in half, you solder the first one over the pins, uh, and then you solder the second one kind of in the slot on it in order to connect everything together so the pads stick out the back of it, which means this could work in um, VGA cable enclosures if you're looking to make any of your own cables like that, or even in just mods that you want to have this stuff, but there's no room above and below. You just want it sticking out the back. So very cool design. I'll probably order a few the next time I have to do any kind of VGA-related stuff. Um, and it's available essentially for free. Either you can take the design yourself uh, and order it from OSH Park or JLC PCB or one of those. Um, and uh, hopefully somebody might have one up for sale as well if uh, anybody wants to buy them in bulk and just sell them as a kit with the VGA connectors or something like that. But, you know, as always, I'm super appreciative of everything open source. Uh, and I'm also appreciative of the little things like this that might not seem like a big deal. But once you start modding, it really is. The Super Game Boy Core for the SD to SNES or FX Pack Pro has just been updated and the developer has released the code as open source on GitHub. Also, the other developer who did the firmware with save state support said that they plan on merging the two together so that you could have one unofficial firmware with save states and Super Game Boy 2 support. Um, of course, all of this stuff will eventually get mixed into the main firmware, uh, but I just I do think it's good that Akari leaves that alone so it's super stable. And then, you know, as these new things get built in, anybody who wants to can test them. And then once they're stable, then it gets mixed in with the, the main firmware. But I tried this right when it was released, and I thought it was really cool. Um, I gushed over it last time I talked about it, and I just, it's very awesome to be able to just play Game Boy games right there on the Super Nintendo without any other ROM cart, that same ROM cart, but also be able to use the different borders from Super Game Boy 2 and all that stuff. So... Uh, very, very appreciative to the developer for open sourcing this and giving this to people, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what they do with it. 
Just a very quick update for people that were concerned. The website for the developer that makes the 3DO optical drive emulators has changed. I guess they must have let the domain expire or something, but the old domain doesn't work. Uh, but the new domain does work. So a bunch of people were concerned that, you know, hey, did the developer disappear? Are they still selling it? Can you still get support? But apparently everything's the same. Uh, it's just 3DO-NEMO.com. It's M-N-E-M-O. I think it's pronounced NEMO. Sorry, everybody knows how terrible I am at pronunciations. Um, so everything sh still should be exactly as it was. I've always heard mixed stories about that developer, but I bought the 3DO optical drive emulator. It arrived to me in like a week and a half, and it works fine. The only thing I never really got working uh, or never figured out was two-disc support, but a bunch of people tell me it already works. So I guess I got to uh, maybe play through Night Trap or something, and when it says insert disc two, try opening the tray and getting into the menu or something. But uh, please correct me if I'm wrong about that. I haven't spent too much time with it yet. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. I just uh, would really like to know how to deal with the two-disc stuff. But anyway, if you were interested in what was going on with that website, the developer's still there. It's just a different URL. I just released a video that compares a few different SCART switches that I had access to. Um, and while that video is pretty self-explanatory, there is a few things I'd like to add. I know some people enjoy hearing the behind-the-scenes stuff, and it drives other people crazy, but I think most of this stuff's relevant. Um, first and foremost, I, I said right in the beginning of the video, I just had a few, I had access to a few switches. Some people offered to send me some, and I had no intention of doing tests on every SCART switch out there, because it would have been a two-hour long video that said the same thing. So I I hope I was able to teach people the same way that I performed these tests so that anybody that has their own switch or wants to test something could follow the same basic procedures to figure it out. Um, and also there was a problem with my video capture setup, but it didn't affect what I was talking about. Um, I always appreciate when people, uh, uh, I don't want to use the word nitpick because I appreciate it, but when people really dig in and in and, kind of point out all the little things that are going on with these captures because in stuff like this you know you really should get it as good as possible but what ended up happening was something in my setup chain on the digital side was causing speckles so the analog interference in the blue area or lack of interference in the cases of the switches that i talked about uh, that would have been unchanged regardless, but you did see speckles in it. Uh, I'm using a brand new, supposedly good cable going from my OSSC to my data path. I ordered new data path cards because maybe my E2S is bad or something. I don't think so, but who knows? And of course, with shipping nowadays, they, you know, they're still en route to me. And with these videos, if I, if I waited to get everything perfect, I would never release a video. Uh, so I, you just got to kind of call it at some point. And my decision to just, you know, let the, the blue screen or the blue background in those captures really still speak for themselves. So I kind of just let that one go. Um, other than that, I mean, everything else kind of lined up with what I was saying. Uh, I, I messed up a little bit on talking about the sync on green stuff with the G-SCART switch, but uh, I, I, anybody that needs that feature already knows exactly what it's like. And uh, Phone Dork surprised the heck out of me with a hilarious addition to this video that I really enjoyed very much this morning when I watched it, that um, just to remind everybody that if you have an original GSCART switch, the input that's closest to the dual output ports is what the switch always defaults to no matter what, which means if you have something that's component video or sync on green and you leave it in that port, 
Um, as long as no other console is p- powered on, it will pass whatever it's being sent through. Um, when Super G moved on to the GSCART Switch Lite, the detection uh, was for all ports. There was no default, and it didn't support component video or sync on green. But now the latest Switch does on all the ports. So uh, I'm gonna. I will have the link to the phone dork video at the bottom of this. It was very funny. Definitely put a giant smile on my face. So uh, anybody who wants that stuff, or anybody that's into that stuff and wants some more info on the switches, <laughs> check that one out. Um, and that's uh, pretty much it. You know, I I was kind of hard on the SCA 101 just because if you don't know what you're doing, just like so many other tools in retro gaming, you could do some damage to your equipment. However, if you just leave it unplugged and use it as a basic switch, it's freaking awesome. And it's both JP21 and SCART, which is the only switch I've ever seen that supports both at the same time. Uh, And if you do know what you're doing, there's a lot of cool things you could use this for. So please check out the video. Please be be safe with that too. You definitely don't want to plug that directly into an OSSE and flip all the options on or something. But uh, I was very impressed with it. Um, I I talked a lot with uh, with the creator, Ashen. I I talked through through a translator, if you will. Um, And he just seems like somebody that really cares about the quality of his products you know when i when i pointed out the whole thing about the uh, the red short they immediately dropped what they were doing to help it wasn't screw you bob you don't know what you're talking about it was the opposite it was you know how can we help let's get this working oh okay it's the only time i've ever seen that but i'm gonna fix it anyway in production just in case so uh, i have other products of theirs that i'll be testing i don't know when because i have such a far backlog at this point but um, that's definitely a developer to keep your eye on because i think there's going to be a lot of cool products coming out of there The Retro Hour podcast just reviewed the Warp 1260 Accelerator Board from CS Labs, and that's a card meant for the Amiga 1200 that adds a ton of unheard of functionality to it. Um, Things like 1080p output and 256 megabytes of DDR3 RAM and a new CPU and I don't know. It's a it's a pretty impressive update for a computer that was never intended to do any of that stuff at all. Um, I'm not an expert at all in classic computers. I enjoy them. I owned them, obviously, way when they were new, not when they were classic. Um, so I'm glad. Always very appreciative that Vanessa was able to write this up so that uh, those of us who are interested in but not experts in retro computers can check this out. But you know, stuff like this isn't respectfully. It's not stuff that would be my favorite way to game. But I would love to spend some time with one of these, and hopefully when life opens back up a little bit more, I can attend one of these retro computer fairs and just kind of sit down and mess with stuff like this. But if you're interested, please check out Vanessa's post. Professor Abrasive has just posted a few updates to the Satiator project. First, he showed off a prototype of the box it'll ship in, uh, and it's pretty neat. It looks professional, and it's my opinion that I don't really care about that stuff as long as the product works, but I always appreciate it when people take the time to do it. So I wouldn't think less of a product because it just shipped in a bag, but if somebody takes the time to make a really nice box and a case for it and stuff like that, I always appreciate it and save it. I never toss it out the window. Um, So that's pretty cool. Also, the production update, the first 100 PCBs are being populated in a facility in the U.S., and the shells have arrived as well. 
and the production test system is ready to go. So it's almost there for the first run of production. Um, and also, Professor Abrasive wanted to address the concerns of a lot of different people who felt like they'd already contributed enough to the project, but didn't want to cancel their membership in fear of losing their place in line to get one of the first for sale. Um, and so he decided to first make all of his posts from now on public access so everybody could be kept in the loop. And also, he said he secured a copy of the Patreon data as of right now that would be used to determine your place in the future. So, or your place in the queue in the future. So, if you decide, hey, enough's enough, I, you know, I've supported for long enough and it's still not ready yet, you could go ahead and cancel your pa Patreon membership and you still, as of now, will have the ability to, uh, to early purchase just like the rest of the members or subscribers, whatever, whatever you would like to call them. You know, uh, a few people also had asked me about this, respectfully too, about how I skipped over some Satiator updates or how I was kind of quick to talk about them in the weeklies. And, you know, I kind of have mixed emotions about this because it's definitely a product that should have been out a year ago. Life happens. I'm not mad at Professor Abrasive. I'm not blaming him. I'm not throwing shade. It's just, I think we could all agree it should have been out already. And every time I talk about this and I say, I feel like it's coming soon, it gets everybody's hopes up and we're all let down. Uh, I'm let down that I, I essentially accidentally lied to you. You're let down because your hopes are up. Professor Abrasive is let down because now there's a bunch of people saying, hey, didn't Bob say he thinks it should have been out by now? Like, nobody wins. So uh, I just, I don't really want to talk about it anymore unless there's major updates like this one. You know, and if any one of the things, I, I think the at least the, the info about anybody who's a Patreon subscriber can still buy one if they cancel, I definitely thought that was important enough to talk about. I just don't know if I would have done an update just on the box or just on the production for all those reasons. Uh, but it is my personal opinion that I'm going to continue to support Professor Abrasive on the lowest tier as long as he has a Patreon because I want to see other cool stuff come out. Uh, I would hope that he would learn from whatever mistakes he may or may not have made in this one to get the next product out much faster. So, uh, you know, I like to support developers, not just products, but I mean, that's everybody's has is entitled to their own opinion. Anybody, especially anybody that actually supports and not just speculates. So, I think Professor Abrasive has uh, the Patreon members covered at least as of now, and I'm still really interested in the project. Um, I saw the, or I still have the the beta video up. I don't have the beta unit, but I have the video that I did of it up, and you know. I, I overall thought it was a pretty great product. And of course, I always love any kind of no mod solution. Uh, so I'll keep everybody updated whenever there's another major update, not little updates. And let's all cross our fingers and hope the next update is they're up for sale. The team behind the RGB Pi just released a device that's kind of a do-it-yourself kit for anybody looking to use the Raspberry Pi for emulation. Um, now, their first product was that cable that plugged directly into the Pi that gets direct uh, SCART audio and video output, um, which is probably the easiest way to get RGB SCART out of a Raspberry Pi. Then their second product was the JAMA version of that, which plugged directly into arcade machines that I've tested and I really liked. I never got a chance to make a video on that yet, but I will. Um, and this one is a little bit different. It's the same type of technology, and it's also a hat, but it breaks out 
all of the different pins for each of the arcade controls, as, uh, uh, as well as 5 volts and video. So if you wanted to wire this yourself into some kind of arcade machine, you could do that um, and not have to, uh, not have to use pre-existing standards. So I think do-it-yourselfers and people that make kits and stuff like that, as I'm saying these things, their mind is probably already racing like mine is, thinking of a million different scenarios in which this would be a, a really good way to, um, to connect up a, a Raspberry Pi emulation box to whatever custom crazy setup you have. So uh, anybody that's more interested, um, the pinouts and everything else are available right in Ronnie's post. Um, it's going to be priced at about $35 uh, plus shipping, and it could be ordered directly through the RGB Pi website. Um, and, you know, I, I hope to get one of these to try out as well eventually. I don't know how quickly I'll be able to do it, but I could already think of a few scenarios which this would be a lot of fun. So uh, definitely check it out if you're interested. Well, that's it for this week. As always, thanks so much to everybody that watches and listens. And of course, thank you so much to everybody that supports on Floatplane and Patreon, as it's your support that keeps this weekly podcast, all the behind the scenes research, and all the other craziness that I'm involved in going. So thank you all very much, and I'll see you next week.